Welcome to the Resonate Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from church member, John Horsburgh. Last week when we were singing, there was one of the songs just had a, a line in it, just talking about coming within the veil. And just something came alive with me the instant we sang that. And so I've titled this morning, Within the Veil. And as we go through, you'll understand that I'm not ignoring the fact that the veil was rent from top to bottom, but there's a place that we want to get to. And uh, look, if this morning's sermon flops and you get nothing out of it, I'm not going to be upset, only because already this has been had such a deep impact on me this week. I had to get up at two, uh, drive Anne to a bus at Naruma at four o'clock on Tuesday morning. And when I got back home, I thought, I'll get in and do some sermon prep. And I sat down and I was telling to Jake earlier on, I sat down for about half an hour. I had the whole thing written out. I had all my Bible verses. and I never even left the table in that half hour. And then I got up and had a bit of a stretch and looked at the clock. I'd been there for half a day. And it was just the most amazing time. I've got a question, and it's something that we all need to ponder. Are we holding on to belief in God as fire insurance? Or do we desire all that is in us to enter into his presence and live in that holy space where all that matters is him? By fire insurance, you know, we pay our insurance, and if there's a fire, we get, you know, are we just sort of using, oh, yeah, I believe in God because I don't want to go to hell? That's fire insurance belief. But that's the question. And now I want to ask, I want to make you, offer you an invitation to come with me this morning. Because what I want to do is to go on a journey through time. And I want to look for and find some of the artefacts that God has left for us to light our way, and it's not just for the people of the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's for us today, it's people of all ages and all generations. Now, I know that I'm not a young man anymore. I'm a bit of a dinosaur, and I like some of the really old songs, and I like some of the old traditions but I'm not wanting to live in the past, ignoring what's happening in the present. But I'm so aware that there is so much truth hidden in the things of old. I'm grateful to some really godly men who have studied the Bible and passed on enough of their learning to fire me up in my desire to build on their understanding. Now, during specific periods of Israel's history, God gave three distinctly different but wholly connected structures of worship to his people. And if we were to fully understand them in this lifetime, it could honestly take all of our lifetime and then some more to come to grips with everything they entail. But why do I even say that? Well, we need to understand that there is a thing called first the natural, then the spiritual. First the natural, then the spiritual. 
1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 46 says, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last was made a quickening spirit. How be it that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural and after the spiritual. So we take the spiritual things, we look for the truth in there, we build on that, and then we find the things that make our spirit come to life. From that understanding we need to be focused fully on the spiritual truths. This is all introduction, sorry. We'll, we'll get there. The first of the things that God gave us was, through, was to Moses. He gave us the, the feast of Passover and connected to that the tabernacle of Moses. The second thing was the feast of Pentecost. And then connected to that is the tabernacle of David. A lot of Christians don't even know there was a tabernacle of David, but there was. And then the third thing was the Feast of Tabernacles. And once again, there's a space of time between the feast and the building, but it is strongly connected to the temple of King Solomon. Okay, that's the intro over. Except for to say that What I want to share this morning is just a glimpse of the truth and I pray that it can fire our desire to search out that which is hidden in God's word. And Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. God hides it. We've got to find it. Heavenly Father, as we start this morning, Lord, I just pray that your hand will be upon me. Lord, I want my lips to be yours. I want my mouth to be yours. I want my words, Lord God, to bring to us this morning the truth that you want to share. Father, I pray that each and every heart here this morning would hear, Lord God, the things that matter to them, the things that you want to touch them with. Lord, there's a broad palette coming out this morning. And Lord, I just pray that you will touch each one as you see and choose fit. Amen. Okay. Can we put up that Scripture verse, please, and just leave it up if that's possible. I'm not preaching on this, but treat this like a springboard. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered with their feet. And with two wings, they did fly. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. That is Isaiah's vision of the real temple. That is Isaiah's vision of the heavenly temple. That is where God dwells. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and He was high and lifted up and His train filled the temple. You know what? I'm not going to be rude to anybody here. I've been in a lot of churches that worship different ways and you go from the ones that use CDs and sing along with them. <laughs> Sorry. And you go right to the other extreme where you've got a place like Hillsong that has got professional musicians paid on staff and they, they, that's what their job is. 
and they make this wonderful swelling sound. And we got people there employed to write songs and we try and sing new songs all the time. But in the heavenly realm, where are we? I can't find it. Verse 3, do you know what they do up in there? Their worship is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when they've said that, they go and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there's something there where this is something just in His presence, that's about all they can probably get out. We're not talking about having to sit down there and mentally go through and think, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to worship? It just comes out. It is birthed within where it comes out and it just springs forth going, holy is the Lord. You know that little word, hallelujah. You know what that is? That's Hebrew, halal, praise, le, the, yah, Lord, praise the Lord. If you can't think of anything else, hallelujah. Sorry, I'm trying not to get excited, but I can't help it. This, I, this has been such an emotional week for me as I've been doing this. Having done all that, I've got to lose my place now. Do you know... Not only that, if we want to enter into that space where the presence of God is so tangible that the reality of his perfection made all else pale into insignificance, where his glory was shining so brightly that the light of him penetrated every nook and cranny, leaving not a single shadow. Who wants to be that place? I do. I really want to get to there. Moses did that at the top of Mount Sinai. He went up there and you know what happened? He came back down and in Exodus 34, 29 to 30, it says, and it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai that the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, that when he came down from the mount that Moses did not know but the skin of his face shone while he was talking to the people and they were filled with... What were they filled with? Similar. Depends on your translation. But they were filled with fear. I mean, this guy walked in in their presence and said, come on, God's been talking to me and he's glowing. Now, I want to get that close to God that I glow. I really do. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest had to undergo a whole raft of conditions and preparations before he was deemed in a fit state to enter into the Holy of Holies. And even then he ended in on the pain of death if he was not properly prepared. My personal testimony regarding this kind of encounter happened in 1986. I was in chapel one morning. I was just face down on the floor and praying and the presence of God came into that room. I knew he was there. Don't ask me what it looked like because I wasn't game to turn around and look. I lay on my face and his purity, his presence just pinned me to the floor, unable to move. I was so aware of his grace. I was so aware of his love that all I could do was lie there on the floor and worship my God and my King. That is where I want to live and that is the door I would love to see unlocked 
for the bride of Christ today. You know, Moses' tabernacle was a place of sacrifice. But in his very heart, there was a small room that measured 10 by 10 by 10. Now, a lot of your modern translations say it was 15 metres or 21 feet or whatever. I don't, I'm making that bit up. I really like the old thing because I believe God put numbers there for a reason. But they use something that's a bit of an anomaly to us. And they use something called a cubit. Now, I want somebody who's different in size to me. You'll do. Yes, you. Mainly because you're not real big, all right? Now, why, is, why do I like the concept of cubits? Now, a cubit is from the tip of your elbow to the tip of your finger. So if I go and build my holy place, it's going to be 10 by 10 by 10. But look at this. You put your hand up against mine. You're Julie, aren't you? I just got to make sure I don't get the wrong name. If Julie goes to make hers, it's not going to be the same size. And why is it that I find that to be such an important thing? Thanks, Julie. That was all I wanted. The truth is that God's relationship with every single one of us is personal. Every single thing about our relationship with God is something that might be slightly different. Now, I might not always agree with everything that somebody else says when they're preaching. I might find I come at the gospel from a slightly different angle. However, so long as we are able to maintain our relationship and we are able to keep within the boundaries that are given, if my method of relating to God is different and Jake and myself have a, a real thing here that I can probably use without embarrassing Jake, Jake comes to church in T-shirts and shorts and caps. When I was a pastor, I would go to church every week with a suit and a tie. My reflection of my relationship with God and Jake's, if they have that difference, does that mean that I'm right and he's wrong or vice versa? It just means that God allows for different personalities to come to him. Now, I'm not talking about different ways to the mountain. I'm not talking about Buddhism and Islam and, and whatever. I'm talking about Christian ethics and Christian people, but we have differences that we are able to come to God with without harming our fellowship and without harming our relationship with God. As we come into that place, we find that there are other obstacles that we have to come to before we can get to the Holy of Holies. See, as we come, the tabernacle and the temple, they had an exterior fence. That fence divided the world from the believers. It divided Judah from all the surrounding nations. And to actually get inside, you had to go through a door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and life. He said, I am the light. He also said, I am the door. No man comes to the Father but by me. 
The only way we can get in is through Jesus. And as we go to enter in, we find that there are different levels of fellowship once we enter in. We go through a carnal and then we progress towards the spiritual. As we go through the door, the very first thing that we come to is an altar of sacrifice. And we go, well, hang on a minute. Christ is our sacrifice. We don't have to do that anymore. But then again, Luke 9, 23, words of Jesus said, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Don't know about you. Daily. That's a sacrifice that we've got to learn to make. It doesn't come naturally. How many people would naturally go and say, oh, there's someone with an axe that wants to cut off my head. I'll go over there and say hello. Well, our natural thing is we'll turn away. But it is at this altar that we also acknowledge our failings and we name them before the cross. We ask forgiveness and we seek for the victory over the things that endeavour to keep us apart from God. We are not a people who are removed from the world, but we are a people who live in the world and walk through it on our way to perfection. And now I could go into a whole new sermon on the Christian walk, but I'm not going to. I could slow my mind down a bit. You know, when we get into this interior space, there are so many people in the world today who will acknowledge Jesus Christ, but they're milling around in this outer place. And they might have come in and prayed a sinner's prayer and gone no further. But we need to move beyond that if we want to grow. We need to move beyond that if we want to lift ourselves out of this world and come to a place where we can just with a heart of love and gratitude do everything we can to serve our God. Within that space, we notice a few things. The biggest thing we observe is another tent. And we go, oh, what's down there? It can can entice us, it can draw us a little bit. But then we also realise that the people that are going towards that other tent are first going to this big bowl of water. Now, a lot of people assume that the laver was there representing baptism. I want to throw something else at you. You see, to my way of thinking, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. Ephesians 2.25 tells us husbands to actually behave ourselves. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He loved them that much. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word of God. See, if we want to go further, then we've got to come and start getting our spirit, our inner man, washed with the word. We've got to start reading 
doesn't mean if you don't understand it. Look, sometimes my penchant for reading this book leaves me going and finding another one by a different translation. This one's the old King James. And if you notice, when I started to quote in the year that King Uzziah died, I was quoting that King Jimmy. Not because I think that the King James is the only Bible, but it is connected to tools like Thompson's, not Thompson's, the Strong's, Thayer, Justinius, which means as someone who's not good at languages, I've got tools to go back to original languages. And it is the only, only one around that was written as a translation without it being coloured by doctrine. I like that part. But it's the washing of water by the word of God. And when we begin to read, starting to learn from God's word, he then can begin to feed our spirit and we begin that journey away from the carnal towards the spiritual. The true joy of understanding the relationship between the natural and the spiritual is that in natural Israel, the priests of the Levites who were born into that particular tribe. But in the body of Christ, the priests are all those who are born again. You know, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, sorry, says, but you are a chosen priesthood. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. See, we don't have one priest who stands up here who is the font of all wisdom and the font of all knowledge. We have a pastor who is a shepherd who's charged to look after us and to keep an eye out for our spiritual welfare. But we are a clan, a tribe of priests, the bride of Christ. We are the priests. And we need that washing. I can only encourage all of us to daily spend time in repentance and in the word. It sounds so easy, but there's an opposition that doesn't want us to do that. How many of us start off with the best of intentions and a few weeks later we suddenly realise I was too busy this morning so I didn't do my reading. I was too busy how many have actually started off saying, I'm going to read through the whole Bible this year? And you get to the end of the year and you realise you've read, oh my goodness, how little. It's because of that that we need to keep inside the walls and to stay with the family of God. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know, we need to be able to come up to each other and say, how are you doing? But you know, the, the traditional Aussie thing is, how are you going, mate? You've been all right? Yeah, I've been all right. And you keep walking. I, I really want to get to a point 
Where as Christians, if we're walking down the street, we see another believer and we say, listen, you've been on my heart. I've been praying for you. Are you doing all right? Are you in the Word? Without scaring people. after we've spent time and we actually start getting down towards this holy place, the first thing we're going to notice is that when we go into the interior, despite the fact that it's heavily curtained, despite the fact that it shuts out the outside world, it's not dark. It's not dark in this place. And if we look around on our right-hand side, there's this ornate table, right? And on it, there's stacks of bread, and there's wine and there's some weird implements. implements. But you've got to go and study all that to work out what they are. But on our left, there's this big gold candlestick that's got seven arms. Now, on the right, as Christians, we should be all aware Bread and wine, that should be going ding, 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 ding. It should be stirring something up in our hearts. But you see, automatically we're going to think, oh, this is communion. But it's a different sort of communion to what we're thinking. It, this was actually there for show for a little while and then it was eaten. It was consumed. It was called the table of showbread back then. But now... Here it is. What does it represent? Is it communion with God? No, the communion with God is a little further on. This is a taste. But it was the priests who ate the showbread. It was the priests who consumed the wine. And they didn't sort of go up in a corner and go, oh, I've got to have a little bit. They did it together as a group. It was something where whoever was there. So it was fellowship. It was communion. So when we commune, we commune with one another. And, and, and you touched on that so beautifully this morning when you talked about in that Corinthians passage where it says some come with the wrong attitude. He actually says, if you read the whole of that passage, you know, some of you need to eat before you come to worship. So that when you have the communion meal, you're not gutsing while somebody else goes hungry. Because their communion meal was not a wafer. and a, They would have a meal, a shared meal. But on that side, there's this place where in God's time we need to understand that the truth of what Jesus said in John 13, 35 says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. I sometimes wonder, where I work, everyone knows I used to be a church pastor. So they know I'm a believer. But would they know that by watching me? Would they know that by knowing that the love that comes out of me is something that's inspired by my relationship with God? And if you want a really scary one, 1 John 3.15 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abideth in death. 
whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's pretty blunt. So here we partake of that which God has provided, but we do so in the fellowship of God's family. The candlestick, it gives a different light, but it's a light so beautiful that we become mesmerised by it. It draws us to it and as we do, we begin to see more and more clearly because this is not an ordinary light. This is not something we turn on and turn off. This candlestick represents very much so the Word of God, but it's not just the natural Word. See, this wasn't actually a candlestick. It was a lampstand. And the seven lamps, they were fired up by olive oil that had to be prepared in a very special way. The olives were crushed to release the oil. Think about it. Like everything in this represents Jesus. What happened to Jesus that the love that he had would go out to be effective for all of us? He was crushed. He was bruised. But the oil that comes, it is the representative of the Holy Spirit. It is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. So this light representing the Word of God is illuminated by the Holy Ghost. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you've been reading the Word and all of a sudden a little passage just sort of goes, like jumps out at you. I mean, I I was reading one night and there was a passage in Romans. I've never been able to find it since. I keep looking. I go back to the same Bible and I look. I know it was down. But it just, it literally swelled up and took the whole page. I'm going, God, are you trying to get my attention? The Holy Ghost is sitting there going, I'm tapping on your shoulder, boy. I'm tapping on your shoulder. This is not a place where we see and read with our natural understanding, but it's the living word, alive and vibrant and feeding the spirit that's within us. And as we start to become aware of how alive the spirit is, we can begin to feel a stirring in our inner man, in our innermost heart. And under the influence of the Spirit of God, he can begin to release the true heart of the believer. And as he does, it unleashes something within us. Now, you may not be aware, but every single person here has been granted a gift and it came with birth. And then you got more giftings when you were born again. But the gifts of the Spirit are things that God gives to each one of us. And that only becomes unleashed when we get into the presence of God and we get into that place where the Spirit begins to touch us. And He goes, boom, onto somebody. And if anyone here before you were Christian ever had any sort of inkling towards sort of leaning into clairvoyant type things, Don't think that that is something that you've got to necessarily put away. The clairvoyancy part, yes, because that is where Satan has picked up on a natural thing within you put there by God when you were born. But what the Spirit of God wants to do, He wants to take that and He wants to release that and go, the word of prophecy is there in you and all you've got to do is tap into God and let it flow. You know, 
some people just have this natural desire. They want to help. Anne and myself burst out laughing one day. We were up in Gunnedah and after church we were in at the pastor's house and a little girl fell over, dropped a glass of milk or something and three different people jumped up and reacted totally differently out of the natural man. One of them went and grabbed the mop and started mopping up the spilt milk. One of them went and grabbed the little kid and picked it up and said, are you all right? Are you hurt? And the other one turned around and says, now you should have come and been careful. You should have walked. Three totally different things, but all of them, there is something innate within every single one of us. And when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of that, you get the one, the helps. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? What? And, and they get a real blessing out of that. And every church needs people with the gift of helps. You think it's not a gift. All I'm doing is putting away chairs. All I'm doing is scrubbing the toilets. Hey, whatever. When God is using you, then don't ever discount the value of what it is that you are doing. There's somebody who's going, you should have done this, should have done this. There's a teacher there. Might not be necessarily the way we would expect it, but, you know, there's, you take the salient points and you begin to reconstruct that so that you can teach lessons. A teacher's got to be a studier. And there's the one who's just got that loving, caring, I want to make sure you're all right. And, it, and we just looked at each other, we just burst out laughing. Mate, that was so clear cut. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10. For to one is given the spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, uh, to another miracles and prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and then diverse kind of tongues or diverse kind of tongues, and to another interpretations. They're all there and we're waiting for the power of God to be revealed to the community around us. When we come as a family to a place where we all fall under the Spirit's awesome power and then begin to let it flow through us. And do you know what? That's not Jake's job. It's not for Jake to stand up here and do all of that. Christ gave to the church the fivefold ministry, the hand, apostles, prophets, Teachers, evangelists, pastors. If they're in order, where does the pastor come? Bottom of the list. I was a pastor for 13 years and God made that so, so true to me. I would go in and scrub the toilets. But the thing is, we assume that those gifts are there to go out and do the work of the ministry but you go and read that verse again. God gave us that, that then when they come and they teach us, then we go out to do the work of the ministry. Do you know, at the moment, now I'm not a big time farmer. I've got a whole 20 ewes. And at the moment, some of them are running around with red rumps because my ram has got a harness on him and a bit of rattle. And I can tell who's been mated. And I didn't do it. I'm the shepherd, but it's not my job to breed the new little lambs. It's the flock 
breeds the lambs. Right? It's not Jake's job. I mean, it is his as much as it's ours. I mean, it's, it's not like Jake says, well, no, John said, I don't have to do it. And he knows that. But also, it's not Kez's job to get up here on a Sunday morning, and I'm not ignoring you. It's not Kez's job to stand up here on Sunday morning, plunk her guitar and try and worship. It's something there that the leadership team up here, when they do that, it's there to take us, to draw us in and to lead us into that place of worship. And if we're not willing to go, then they can try their heart out and they'll go nowhere. It is when the Spirit of the living God comes and in power touches us that we then in our turn become empowered to go on and do the things that he called us to do. But that's not the finish. Sorry. I probably shouldn't apologise, but that was a bit of an aside. So as we've come into the holy place, we've started to find that there's something special with the fellowship. We've started to find that there's a living word, but there's still one more altar that we can see. And we look at that one, uh, and this altar in the old was solid gold. It had a mesh in it, and there were coals, and people were coming up to it and throwing stuff on. And as it did, there was a smell, there was an incense that was going up. You know, without trying to go too hard into it, the incense, the altar of incense, that's the place of prayer. It's a place of worship. And you can go to innumerable places in the Word where it tells us that our prayers rise up as a sweet-smelling savour before our God. This is a place of focused prayer that comes when the fire of God burns within I don't know if you know it, but there's a big difference between you meeting up with somebody and someone taps you on the soul and said, oh, can you come and help me pray for Fred? So we go over there, we say, Lord bless Fred, and we go away. But there might be another time when the fire of God just starts to well up and we see Fred and we go, Fred, I've got to pray for you. And we just sit there and then something groans in our spirit and out comes this outpouring God through us as we pray for him. I have seen people healed from afflictions as people were praying under the power of God. And I have seen other people walk away as sick as they came when they were prayed for by somebody who was trying to big note themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to get to the point where we're going, God, I, I want to love this person so much that I want to do everything I can, everything. I want everything that's within me to come up and to speak under the influence of your Holy Spirit. Not me, but you, Lord. I've probably told you this testimony, someone here, but worship's a funny thing. Back in 1986, 
and myself were singing in a choir in a church in Melbourne and they had this new church they were going into. It was going to hold 1,200 people. And as a choir, we were putting on a, a show. I can't remember what it was. I know that pardon? if my people is okay. And it was, who was the bloke who was the singer in Sydney? That's all right. There was a famous bloke sang the lead role in, and halfway through it, the choir said, you know, I think people are going to be sitting and listening to us. I just, I just want to give them the opportunity to stand up and sing and if they want to worship, we'll let them go. So we got to the point, we got halfway through and instead of having an intermission, said, everybody stand up and they put some stuff up on the board and people started, they played this song and I don't even know what it was, but they started singing, they played another song and they sang and then the whole, this 1,200 voices erupted just into this outpouring of worship to God and it went on and on and I was thinking, we're not going to finish the program and I think inside God would have been saying, doesn't matter. But anyway, it died down and we finished the program and I was talking to the choir mistress afterwards and I can still remember now Back then I was 33 and I thought he was a little old man. He was probably my age now. And he walked up and he still had tears streaming down his face. And he came up to the choir mistress and through this broken, sobbing, I heard these words. He said, look at me. And she's going, it touched you. He said, look at me. He said, something meant something to you tonight. He said, look at me. Problem is, she didn't know what she was looking for. She says, I came in tonight with a withered arm. And he was standing there and I'm looking, which one? Do you know, nobody, nobody came up to him and laid hands on him and said, be filled in Jesus or be touched in Jesus' name or whatever. Nobody at all singled him out and prayed for him. Nobody lifted him up. But I just know somehow that night, his words turned out he was a Catholic bloke and he's never, he had no idea what we were doing when we worshipped. But he said, in that funny song where you sang on, I didn't know the words. He said, I was just there and, and he said, my arm went straight. He was totally and completely healed. And I just, God's sitting up there. He's up here in the, you know, high and lifted up. And this noise is coming up. And God says, oh, gee whiz, that's touched my heart. What can I do? That was it. That man, by the way, turned around and said, I don't come to this church. I'm a Catholic. But tomorrow I'm going to see my priest to give my life to God. I'm going, wow. How good can worship be when that happens? One night there was 15 of us in a cold, cold little hall in Colcan. At that stage, we were still doing night services, all of 15 people, a rather inept old fella on a guitar strumming away. I 
can't remember the song we were singing. We started just to worship quietly. I mean, a hall nearly as big as this with 15 people, you know, you go, how much noise can you make? That can't have been really much in the way of worship. Then all of a sudden heavens opened and angels joined in and this massive noise in beautiful, beautiful harmony. I'm going, ah, and I stopped it. Do you know why? I took my eyes off God and I was looking for where the angels were. And as soon as my attention was off God, the door closed. I was the pastor. I was on the guitar and I stuffed it royally. You know, it's one of these things when we get into this place of focused prayer, focused worship, focusing everything we can. It's not just worship, by the way. Think about the Lord's Prayer, all the essence of the Lord's Prayer right here. Praise, worship, supplication, guidance, intercession. All will flow from our hearts to our lips when we allow God to light us up for his kingdom. And then at the end, not my glory, Lord, but yours. And finally, standing before the veil, which in old times prevented all but the high priest from moving ahead, we're standing there. Now the veil is no longer a barrier to be able to get into our 10 by 10 by 10. It's reached and we can enter into the presence of God because God himself tore the veil from the top to the bottom. Jesus, when he had died in Matthew 27, 50, Jesus, when he cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom, from God's bit. When we get into that place, it is lit by the light of God, a place where all else fades away but worship. And in his presence, nothing else matters. His beauty, his purity, his holiness, these things are the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. What about yesterday's golf school? You get into God's presence, you go, yeah, who cares? Who was right yesterday when I was having that argument with my wife? All of a sudden, love prevails. How much cash have I got for lunch? Yeah, that's trivial. Don't worry. What about my health issues? Nah, just kidding. I'm in the presence of Jehovah Rapha, the God whose nature is to heal. Eternally, this is where we are going to live. Not in a 10 by 10 by 10 room made with human hands, but in the heavenly tabernacle where God the Father resides. Seated on his throne and seated beside him is Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The place where all who call on his name will be saved. 
that place where the beasts and the elders worship and adore the living God, the place where the cherubim flying around crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I did get there. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I don't know about you, but I get tired of groping around in the darkness. I want to begin to worship him now as we are meant to in the world to come. So many times I've been in places where you start to get into a place of worship in a church and things start to move and lift and then all of a sudden you see someone going like this. And someone else going, someone's looking around. If we get bored worshipping God now, up here it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And that's eternity. We don't need to be scared of this. We need to be looking forward to it. We need to be saying, God, bring me to that place where I am prepared to fall on my face day by day. Lord, I don't want to spend the rest of my life just getting up and motoring along from morning till dark. Lord, I want my life to be something Whether it counts for the world at large is unimportant, but I want it to be something that touches your heart, God. I want it to be something that reaches out to you and embraces all that you are because you've done so much for me and you simply ask us to love you back. You didn't wait till we loved you. You love me. He saw me when I was at my worst. And he reached out and lifted me. And right now, if I had a prayer, it would be, Lord, teach us to live right and to begin to worship you as you so truly deserve. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Podcast. Jesus, my love, my God.